Hi, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about finance, money, and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and broadcast nationally on the community radio network around Australia. I'm your host, Ray Trevison from OTG Capital, and today we're welcoming to the microphone Louise Bedford from Trading Game, and welcome, Louise. Oh, Ray, great to see you. Now, this time around is not your first time with us. Uh, before we went national, you came onto our program and I guess introduced yourself in Trading Game. So for the new listeners out there, can you give a little bit of an overview of who you are, what Trading Game is about uh, before we get into today's topic? Sure. So Louise Bedford and I'm from tradinggame.com.au. I help people make money out of the markets, whether they want to be traders or investors. And I make sure people stick to a trading plan because, Ray, that Mm -hmm. is the most important part of trading, being very focused, sticking to something that's structured that you wrote when your market brain wasn't actually leaking out of your left ear because the markets were open (laughs) and you were panicking. So that is the key. And also, I'm a best-selling author of five books on the stock market, including one of the books is on trading psychology, which is, of course, something that I adore. And I'm the host of my own podcast, talkingtrading.com.au. Wonderful. So I, I guess, again, thank you for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. And when you were last on the show, we were talking actually about trading plans. And it's a big thing of mine. I guess it's the old defence uh, forces in me. If you uh, fail to plan, you plan to fail. And I think that's one of the things, certainly if I look back on my own trading history it's one of my failures i had a plan but uh, failed to stick to it so there you go so look one of the things that we're actually talking about today is the psychology of trading and uh, we are usually doing a, a time insensitive program so that you know people can come back and look at this but it's topical because at the moment the markets are having a bit of a downtime and so people are looking at their trading plans hopefully at this point in time, but I guess they should be looking at their trading plans fairly regularly, shouldn't they? They really should. I think in the last 30 years or so that I've been trading, I've reviewed my plans so very many times just to make sure that I'm still on the right track and that everything that I'm doing is what I said I was going to do. Mm. So today we're talking psychology. We're actually going to talk about the mind games that we play uh, amongst ourselves and possibly with our investing uh, friends if we do so. Uh, Again, I have an association with the Australian Shareholders Association these days. I'm a convener of a a local discussion group and I'm fascinated by how you would get a a room of 20-odd people and have 20 totally different ways of approaching uh, trading and investing. And so today, Louise, I'm really pleased we're going to be talking about the psychology uh, around trading and the levels of competence. Now, I love this particular area of research and discussion because the, the area of competence is competencies that people have I think uh, all those kind of things and uh, I'm a bit of an active Twitter user and I guess competence is one of those things that when I'm on Twitter I, I try not to engage with incompetence because it's one of those losing battles it's a downward spiral isn't it you don't want to feed the idiot Uh, It's a bit that way. So let's talk about competence in the context of trading. So uh, you've given me some background reading and you'll be pleased to know I did my homework. Um, So from that perspective, maybe if you can explain to the listeners what conscious 
competence is? Absolutely. Look, I think there are many parts of high performance that if we actually break it down, we can actually compare between that area of high performance and another. And trading is to do with high performance. So when we kick off into a new, complicated, complex area, we first of all have conscious competence. When we're learning, we're having to think so hard, it can be emotionally draining, right? You remember learning to drive a car how much were you concentrating during that time whereas now it's actually (laughs) (laughs) yes whereas now you're probably able to listen to music eat a burger look over your left shoulder to do the competent head check without even thinking about every stepping stone that got you to be a competent driver because you have had skilled practice of many many years so conscious competence is the learning phase Everything's broken down into tiny little stepping stones and every stepping stone is fraught with anxiety, Ray. (laughs) So I guess from that perspective, the the move from um, conscious competence, so in other words, you're focusing, you're concentrating, you're in that training phase. I guess to move from that conscious competence, you, you you then move into unconscious competence. So this is where you're talking about. So you're doing things without thinking about it. So it's it's second nature. Is that the kind of trading that you're talking about as well, that people get into the habit of doing good trading practices that they become very proficient and fluent at it? Absolutely. This is the mastery phase. So you have got everything down pat. You know what to do if the market goes up. You know what to do if the market drops. It's almost committed to memory, but it's also committed to a muscle memory because as a trader, you have had that experience. Now, I never like the term gut feel in the markets. It is totally a misnomer. I've got a business degree and a psychology degree, and I often hear entrepreneurs say, I felt like it was the right thing to do. Whenever traders say that, I become quite wary because we really don't know what the future will hold. We cannot predict. And there are Mm. two other types of competence with this as well, Ray, which I think we need to discuss right now. So we've got conscious incompetence. So let's look at that first. That is when you're aware that you lack a skill or there's some sort of knowledge gap or there's an area where you need to investigate further in order to become very competent at that area. That is not the problem because I love it when people say, I don't understand. Perfect. Great for a trader, but great also if you're looking to build your career. The other aspect is the big one, and this is where people come undone. This is unconscious incompetence. So let's break this down. You're not aware of it because it's unconscious, but it's also something you're doing very, very badly. Now, if you don't know that you're doing something badly, you can't make amends and fix it. Now, Ray, I see this time and time again in the markets. Mm. I guess it it harps back to that Donald Rumsfeld uh, discussion way back for those of us old enough to remember when uh, we did the first round of Iraq war and Rumsfeld stood up and said, we don't, you know, we're talking about the the no's and the don't know's and we don't know what we don't know. And the no's that we do know and the, the, the don't know's that we don't know. And at the end of it all, I sat there rather confused. But when I went back and looked at it, he actually spoke a bit of logic. So we're talking really about People that don't know that they don't know, isn't it? 
That's exactly right. Now, it is interesting as well. There's some wonderful research about this. If you are already a skilled trader and you mindfully approach trading, personally, my hypothesis would have been that that would be a good thing. However, research shows that if you break it all down and if you concentrate on every point and you're already skilled, your performance degrades. Let's take golf for an example. Now, Mm -hmm. I personally am not a golfer. I had one very embarrassing game of golf (laughs) and I gave up. Okay, just I'm going there. All right. I I can relate to this, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) I can absolutely relate to this except i keep coming back for punishment because my mates keep on telling me that i will improve one day but please louise go on (laughs) and it was to the point ray this is just sinful of me my husband got a hole in one that day and i said well of course you've been playing golf for 20 years haven't you (laughs) it was very nearly the end of our relationship at that point (laughs) he's a very forgiving man (laughs) so With golfers, often if they get a golf swing that they're happy with and they've got a reasonably competent game, if you bring in a coach at that stage and you break down every aspect of that golf swing, their performance will degrade. It won't improve because you've made them aware of every tiny building block of that swing. Now, traders are the same. If you really know your stuff and you've got something that's working for you, keep on doing that. Don't break it down. Don't assume that mindfulness will help your performance because it just won't. Mindfulness is only good for helping people if they don't know what they're doing and if they're not aware of their deficiencies. So I, I guess that's uh, an old adage then, if it ain't break, don't try to, if it ain't broke, don't try to fix it. Is that correct? Absolutely. And look for areas where perhaps you're running around with scissors, you're possibly hurting yourself that you're not aware of. Many traders are not aware of the importance of the anti-martingale system. Have you heard of that one, Ray? Oh, please enlighten me. I'm interested to hear what you've got to say. This one is so important. And if you've got a portfolio and you're looking at how do I rebalance that portfolio and what is my next move? Because the market has had some dips and definitely a lot of people are feeling that it is becoming more volatile. Anti-Martingale will help you do this. What you do is you look at all of your positions and you look at where your stop loss is, value it to its stop loss with all of your positions plus the cash in the bank and use that amount, that new equity level that you've calculated as being your future for new position sizes. So rather than starting out with 100,000, your portfolio is growing to 180,000 and you're still thinking, I'll just position size on 100,000. No, no, no. Anti-Martingale strategies say use the new 180,000 so that your new positions in the market are larger. And what if it's flipped? What if you're making losses? then you make your new position smaller. So as you're winning, as you are excelling in the markets, your new position sizes get larger and larger. And as things are not going as well, your new position sizes get smaller. Now, that Mm. is absolutely significant in terms of watching how traders can instantly change around their results with a very simple strategy. So 
In other words, what you're saying is that at, at any point, what you're doing here is recontextualizing your, your frame of reference. So when you started, for example, with your 100K, by actually advancing that now to the next level, you're recontextualizing and then setting that base level at that new level. Is that correct? Absolutely. You know, a lot of people don't understand the importance of maintenance when it comes to good portfolio practices. If we're looking mm -hmm. at best practices for traders, not only are we looking at entry, exit and position sizing as being the top three things for a new position, but we're also looking at our existing positions. Do we add more money to winning positions? Do we use that anti-martingale approach? How do we actually look at the areas where we're not doing well in the markets and eradicate those sources of friction to leave just that sweet spot of the things that we are doing very, very well. The majority of times when I'm looking through somebody's trading results, I'm stripping away rather than adding to. The art of subtraction is so important. <laughs> okay, that's a good point uh, to actually take a break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm here with Louise Bedford from The Trading Game, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money, and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense. I'm Ray Trevison and here at the microphone I have Louise Bedford from trading game and we are talking about the psychology of trading now before we went to the break louise we were talking about competencies unconscious conscious competencies and we finished off before we went to the break and we were talking about i guess reframing and resetting our expectations uh, and so i guess that really comes back to ensuring that we keep refreshing our trading plan and we keep reviewing and maintaining our portfolio it's a strange word to use because I come across people that have said, oh, I've held Combank for 30 years. And I keep thinking when I hear that, I don't think they've been maintaining their portfolio because that is a set and forget infinitum. And I, I guess my question to you then, given that what I want to really segue into now is to talk about the importance of psychology and how this leads to longevity in in the markets and keeping active and i guess keeping you know keep on winning in this framework is holding a, a stock for 30 years is that a good thing for example <laughs> well, maybe for that particular person, that's slotted in with their requirements and their goals and personal values. But in mm -hmm. the majority of cases, Ray, I would always suggest people set a stop loss so that before they get into a position, they know when they are going to get out. What sort of tolerance they have for risk can determine where they set their stop 
I see a lot of people at the moment where they're saying, look, I need to have my stop so close to the price action because things are going crazy in the world. The difficulty with that, Ray, is they'll get stopped out so very often when that primary trend is still continuing. So we really need to give that share or that position some wiggle room, but not too much so that we've actually premeditated our own mm -hmm. views about risk and how to control that risk before we've even put a cent into the markets. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the psychology and the importance of psychology in being able to establish this, this, I guess, this longevity that gives people the comfort and confidence to keep going back into the markets, whether they're volatile or not. I mean, good, confident traders, I think, probably look at volatility with a very positive view, saying, great, this is an opportunity. Look, I have to say, I've recently coined a phrase, volatility bias. And I think you'll like this, Ray. If you ask any trader at any time, I mean, I've been in the market since 1990, so I've had a lot of opportunities to be able to ask traders their view. Do you think the markets are volatile? 99% of the time, these traders are going to say, yes, yes, the markets are volatile. Because <laughs> I'll tell you why, if they're winning, oh my goodness, look at me, I'm a superstar. I'm winning even though the markets are volatile. And if they're losing, I'm losing because the markets are volatile. So there's a lot of psychology wound up in that. I'm calling it volatility bias. I think that the majority of the time when the markets are even stable and just like a little dog walking down by the side of the street instead of that tiger jumping out at you behind that tree, <laughs> regardless, people are going to say the markets are very, very volatile. So that volatility bias can creep up and bite us. The other mm -hmm. aspect, I want to go back to something you said earlier. You're quite right. The research does support the longer we can be in the markets as a trader, the more likely we are to learn how to make money. Study after study shows it. So what we're trying to do here, and Ray, this is why I commend you with what you're doing with financial literacy and financial education for your listeners and your viewers, aiming to help people understand the core dynamics about trading and investing and about money can make such a difference. You will know that it is normal to have some losses. You will know that it is normal to have some profits and that normality can keep you in the markets for long enough so that you can work out how the heck to do this thing. I, I couldn't agree more, I guess, Louise. One of the things that I keep on trying to show people is that you know, we're in this for the long game. And um, now that I'm in my 60s, I still look at people and say, I've still got a long investing uh, horizon in front of me because my wife and I, as we look forward to retirement in the next however many years, we're still going to need to be active investors. We're still going to need to be engaged. I mean, yeah, we can potentially disengage, but I don't think that's part of my DNA, I guess. And anybody that cares about their financial security should keep on being interested, I, I guess, on a day-by-day -day basis. And I think this is a good segue into the next item of homework you asked me to look at, and that's called distraction sickness. I think I'm guilty. I think I'm absolutely guilty of this one. Um, so tell the listeners about what distraction sickness is. 
Absolutely. It's something that I've been studying quite a lot recently, especially because I have got teenage children. Now, teenagers are not the only ones, though. This has infiltrated every area of our lives. Ray, have you ever been out to lunch or dinner with a friend and you've left your phone on the table face up? I, I left oh. my phone on on the top of the car just recently and drove off. So yes. <laughs> oh yes, indeed. Well, I think we've got another victim of distraction sickness. Now, if we do leave our phone face up, especially while we're conversing with a friend, unfortunately, not only does that deplete our enjoyment, it also shows the friend that hey, they're not that important. And in terms of mm -hmm. social connectedness, your social connectedness drops. And it has been studied that this is a big no-no. Now, I've got some other studies here that I think will be quite interesting. There's a small but very revealing study that reveals that many young adults are looking at their phone 85 times a day. That's Amazing. It's around every 30 seconds. They'll glance down and look back up and glance down and look back up. Now, that's roughly a third of their waking hours. Many didn't realise they were doing that. So it's become an area of unconscious skill set there. They think they're catching up. They're staying aware. They're 100% focused on the person in front of them. But how can they be if they're looking at their phone every 30 seconds? Now, the estimation that they gave, they thought that they looked at their phone half as much as reality suggested. Now, have you ever been with a friend, Ray, that's been looking at their phone incessantly? Well, I've I got to tell you, I, I guess because of my age group, it's probably not quite so prevalent, but my kids are all in their 20s. And so certainly we all eat dinner around the, the table as a family without a screen. So that the mobile phone being there is only ever used, for example, to settle an argument or a discussion or to, to I guess, provoke that because uh, my daughter will raise something and then she'll raise it on IMDb or, or, a, or a similar kind of website or Wikipedia to make a point or to prove a point. And so it, it adds, I guess, to the flavour and peakness of, of our ro rather robust uh, dinners. But I, I must say I agree. I, I, I would find particularly at a business lunch or anything, if somebody's reading a phone instead of paying attention to me, I, I, I guess I'd get rather cranky and eventually say, listen, you know, maybe we should do this another time because you're obviously not focused on what we need to be doing. I mean, I, I always grant people, you know, if they see a phone call coming in and it is important. I mean, I did it just the other day. I said, look, I, I really apologise. I absolutely need to take this phone call. And the person on the other side of the table has been more than forgiving and saying, yeah, for sure. I make it quick, get my business done, and then quickly turn my phone back down and face it down. And I think there's always those kind of aspects. Technology can be your friend or your enemy. I think it's always, in my view, because I've grown up around these things uh, from the get-go, and I used to sell them when they first came out. I think they're wonderful. I think they're absolutely wonderful. But I'm, I'm curious now when we're talking about distraction sickness, how that pertains to trading and being a better share trader, because I find when I'm focusing on, you know, the few shares that I do invest in, I tend to be reasonably focused. How is distraction sickness impacting people's trading plans? I'm curious. Well, the good thing that you've discussed here is that you're using your phone as a tool rather than letting it govern your behaviour. And that's what we're talking about here. We are talking about 
the ability to use technology for our own purposes with a predefined outcome in mind. Unfortunately, though, you are not in the majority here. <laughs> the majority <laughs> of people are not using it as a tool. One study revealed that 62% of people pulled out a device while waiting in line for 30 seconds. 30 seconds before they pulled out their phone. 80% of those people took less than 20 seconds. My goodness. So we've impacted our threshold for boredom to around the 20 second mark for the majority of us. Now, this is shocking. We are moving further and further away from the Cal Newport theory of deep work. We're struggling to think as we are constantly having our old brain, which is at the very centre of our brain, pre-verbal, reactive, threat-focused, that old brain is dealing with the new brain, which wraps around that old brain, which is our prefrontal cortex, our cerebral cortex, the more mature, sophisticated part, often to do with impulse control. Now, unfortunately for us as traders and as humans, trying to get those two brains talking to each other consistently so that it is within our favour is very difficult. And if we're constantly getting distracted, what we're talking about is a constant threat that keeps up your cortisol level, means that you can't concentrate as much, means you have tunnel vision, you focus just on that thing in front of you, which happens to be your phone, ignoring outside impulses, outside things that are occurring because you get so devoted to that threat and controlling that threat becomes your total conviction. So that is what's happening out there, Ray. I'm glad to see you've risen above and that it's not you at all. <laughs> well, Some who knows? Some of the few look, homo sapiens. <laughs> so look, one of the things I always like to do on Dollars and Making Sense is to leave a takeaway with our listeners. We're just about out of time. So I guess in order to... I I think take a step forward in the psychology of trading and, and the like and maybe uh, kill this distraction uh, this distraction sickness can you leave the the listeners with one takeaway that they should be, maybe think okay this has been good you know listening to these guys for half an hour has been worthwhile absolutely probably the best piece of advice i can give you is to set an alarm clock so banish all distractions get rid of the notifications on your phone take your phone away leave it in another room set a project and set an alarm clock and say i'm going to concentrate on this project for 20 minutes when the alarm goes off then i'm allowed to look at my phone then i'm allowed to look at the tab that's open on our computer there <laughs> probably 500 of them. So that is a very pure piece of advice that will help you access deep work, build on your skill sets for focus, and also give you a reward because once you've achieved that level of concentration, you're going to want to do more of it. That lovely dopamine cycle where we get that reward little squirt of dopamine into our brain so that hopefully we will continue that good behaviour Wonderful. And Louise, thank you for being with us. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about finance, money and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the Community Radio Network around Australia. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us at our blog, social media channels and email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in our favourite podcast platform and check us out on our website 
Louise, I'm definitely going to have you back on. We've got so much more to talk about. Until next time, thank you kindly. Thank you.